Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Conan Esla, and I'm here today with Carlos Gomez. Hola, hola, hola. And Tadeo Gasparetto. Hello, everyone. Tadeo, can you tell us a little bit about today's paper? Sure. The paper we're going to discuss today, its title is New Insights on the Lushmelin Paradox, Determinants of Demand for Subscription and Pay-Per-View Boxing. So it has three authors, David and Robert Butler from University College Cork and Joe Maxi from Drexel University. The paper is really interesting. It's talking about boxing, so it comes from the classical literature in sports economics. And again, talking about demand. So, I mean, in my opinion, it was it's a very nice paper to talk. I think it's great that today we have a paper where we're talking about boxing. And when I read the title, I was really intrigued because if you know a tiny bit of boxing and you know about the history between Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling, you know that this is super interesting history. Why is it so interesting? Because the first battle between them or the first fight, everyone expected Joe Louis to win, but actually Max Schmeling won. And the second one was won by Joe Louis. And those fights obviously were super interesting because of political reasons. But also, and this is the Joe Louis Max Schmeling paradox, as they call it, they have worthy opponents. So suppose you would watch a box fight and one of the boxers would be extremely worse than the other ones so how intrigued would you be in watching this fight and this is what they want to look at here in this paper and if you know a bit of sports economics literature you know that they have looked at something called competitive balance in many other fields for example in football or baseball but what they do here is they say okay we know that competitive balance is important we know that it's important to have two worthy opponents but how is this in boxing? Because sometimes you find, let's say, some counterintuitive results. Some supporters prefer to have one team or one player that is clearly or somewhat stronger than the other one. Many supporters don't like to have perfect competitive balance where both teams are, have the same strength. So here they say, okay, how is this in boxing? And they look at numbers from... TV ratings. So I think they have a really interesting paper here. But Carlos, can you tell us a little bit about the method? Yes, the authors have a super interesting data set. They have about 210 fights in the data, which actually involve 173 boxes. And they have two different dependent variables. And this is interesting. They have, as you Cornell said, TV ratings. But it comes from two sources. The first source are what they call main events. They have 136 fights under this paradigm. And these are basically when people pay for a subscription so they can watch several fights. But they also have what they call pay-per-views, fights, and they have 74 of these. And these are fights that people can buy one time and they can do this in platforms, such, for example, HBO. They have this data for the pay-per-views a little bit longer period of time and a little bit shorter period of time for the main events. These main events, they get the data from Nielsen Media and the pay-per-view fights in several sources in the internet. What they also do have is a large set of independent variables and they divide this in the classic factors of demand studies. So they have outcome uncertainty variables 
They have here one which is a performance-based metric based on previous performance. Then they use Betty nodes to create outcome probabilities and then compare the fights. And then they also have another measure that actually incorporates the probability of a draw. Then they have product-specific variables. This actually account for uh, different characteristics of the fights. They have the quality of the combat, the weight class, the title, if it's a fight for the title, rematches, when the boxers are undefeated, they have the nationality of the boxers, they have also the price of the event in this pay-per-view. This is also interesting, later I, I make a small remark about this. And then they also include substitute events, like for example, other sports, NFL, NBA, the UFC, which is probably the direct competitor with the boxing events. Apart from this, they also include the popularity of the fighters. They use the Ring magazine. Probably if we have some listeners very interested in boxing, they know about this famous magazine, the Ring magazine, which actually use an expert of panel to provide this quality ratings for the fighters. And then they also include all the factors that relate to the time of the fight, the location of the fight, if the fight is broadcasted and holidays. So they have quite extensive number of variables. And the model that they use is also a classic model, a regression model. They have a little bit of a tricky situation because the distribution is not normal. So they cannot use like most basic linear regression models. They use a specific type of regression, GLM. And they also control for the endogeneity of the price. That could be a problem in these tricky demand models. They check that this is not a problem, especially for the pay-per-view model. And this is their complete methodology section. Maybe a small remark with descriptive statistics. They do find a low level of outcome uncertainty in most matches. That is interesting and probably linked to the results. Tadeo, do you want to tell us a bit more about the results? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Carlos, well, that's really nice. I mean, you explained perfectly the methods. And I mean, it's really elaborated methods. They were explaining really, really detailed what they did is really cool. And I would start talking about the descriptive statistics, but they already introduced that one point that got my attention was this, that despite of this mechanism, that they settled the fights considering the quality of the boxers still, they found out some lower level of uncertainty of outcome in some of them. And the bounds, as they call the fights, it's like the viewership is quite high, it's about 800,000 people tend to watch on average such, but it varies so much. There are fights with more than 2 million people watching. And in the pay-per-view, even more, they consider as an outliers those matches between, these fights between Pacquiao and Mayweather or Mayweather and McGregor that reach more than 4 million people. So also, not only the empiric analysis, but this descriptive part, they also emphasize that is really cool. But going to the results, it's very nice because as they could compare two different networks, it means that the subscriptions and then the pay-per-view, they could understand the determinants of the demand plus compare the difference that you can see across distribution channels. So as Cornell said in the beginning, the focus was in the certainty of outcome and they had different results considering the two different strategies. So where in the subscriptions, so in the main events, their empirical results contradicts the theoretical prediction. So what they found out is that fans prefer relatively unbalanced bouts. 
So being different what Neo predict long time ago. But in the pay-per-view, they have a partial support of the theory, but still is not robust. And regarding to the quality of the bout, it's clear that fans prefer to watch high-quality fights, so it drives a large portion of the demand. And one difference between the two channels is that rematch fights that happen again between the same two boxers, it's a positive for the main event, but it's a negative for the pay-per-view sales. And the domestic boxer is positively drive uh, viewership in the main event, one similar category between them is that heavyweight classes are highly demand regardless the distribution channel. And another thing that is similar between them is that the NFL, when you have NFL matches around, it reduces the broadcast demand of boxer bounds. And they found out some difference between HBO and Showtime, where HBO has higher audiences. And it was for me interesting, because I'm not for boxing at all, that the fights that happened in Europe had lower viewers. And they explained it, considered that when the fight, when the bout happened in Europe, it changed the classical time for the American audience. And in this sense, it was somehow expected to have a reduction, and it did happen. And two last points that I would like to emphasize is that, as expected again, those bouts that Floyd Mayweather were competing they had much higher audience that it would not surprisingly as he was a really world champion for a long time and they found out what they call like a negative trend that there is a reduction in the viewership over the time but they don't say that people are being less interested in boxing. What they try to interpret this mechanism, they say that people watching through different platforms as well. So the introduction of digital ways to watch. So it shifts the audience towards different channels. Also, there are more bounds being broadcasted. It means that there are more people watching different bounds as well. So in this sense, overall, this is all the results that they got in this paper. Nice paper. Um, for me, I have a question for both of you, because this was one of the first things that I thought about when I read this paper. What would have to happen for you to watch a boxing match? Because I know both of you really enjoy watching football, but I know that for me, boxing, I mean, I did boxing training for a few years, but watching a match, it has to be highly publicized for me just to know about it. So when you mentioned those McGregor fights, Those were the fights that I knew, but the other ones, I had no idea that they were happening. So when would you watch a match? So what would have to happen for you to watch a match? I did watch some matches when I was younger, not because I looked for them or because I paid for them. Probably I would not pay to watch boxing match, whatever happens. But when I was younger, I remember it was on TV in the early morning in Spain. So when I went to bed really late, there was some boxing going on, and I enjoyed watching it for a little bit. It was not a lot, but it, it did happen. But it's true that you don't find too much information about uh, boxing parts in the media, or at least the media that I follow. Yeah, my case is similar. It's like, when I was young, I remember extremely publicized the fights between Mike Tyson and Holyfield. So I guess that was the time that I was like, yeah, 
let's watch it and i enjoyed quite a lot we had some boxers in brazil so these particular bounds were more publicized so we is a celino popo freitas so was world champion and he was from here so in the sense we used to watch more his fights but i would say the first association that they make with boxing was the fight between mike tyson and holyfield okay i think that's really interesting for me i remember I used to watch the Klitschko fights once in a while, but I always felt sorry for his opponents. So <laughs> I stopped after some time and I haven't watched in a long time. Yes, I find actually very interesting that the authors are here talking about boxing and the fact that they include viewership ratings. There are not that many papers that do this. And I thank them for this. Cornel, Tadeo, thank you very much. This is everything for today's podcast. Thank you for listening to the weekly sport fees. Stay tuned.